well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you're with us on the program today as we are going to be highlighting some of the races to watch on Election Day. By the way, this episode brought to you by Direct Bouillon USA, the new gold standard of gold and silver dealers. You wouldn't let the swamp of Washington, D.C. take your guns, so why would you let them take your retirement? Visit directbouillonusa.com today and start learning how to protect your financial freedom by requesting a free investment guide, secure, protect, and diversify. Get started now at directbouillonusa.com. All right, so let's focus on some of the races to watch tomorrow around the country. Uh, You know, we've been writing at Bearing Arms about it, the uh, pre-election spin that we've been hearing from gun control groups uh, and uh, anti-gun activists like Peter Ambler of Gifford to uh, insist that this election is going to prove that it's okay for Democrats to talk about gun control. Uh, noting that uh, there doesn't appear to be a single race where gun control specifically is going to cost Democrats an election. That's the caveat that Peter Ambler says, well, there's there's not one race where gun control is going to be the issue. Well, no, not an election year when the issue uh, is inflation and the economy and to a slightly lesser degree, crime and public safety. No, gun control uh, may not be an issue that uh, solely costs Democrats an election. However, support for the Second Amendment isn't likely to cost Republicans uh, any seats either. In fact, quite the opposite, because it does look like it's going to be a a good night for the GOP across the board. And we're going to talk about some governor's races and some Senate races to uh, keep an eye on. But one race in particular that is of great importance for gun owners is Measure 114 in Oregon. This is the ballot initiative that would do a number of things. It would impose a magazine ban. Uh, in Oregon. Now, those individuals who uh, lawfully possess a magazine uh, at the moment would uh, be supposedly grandfathered in, but under very limited circumstances. Uh, basically, you could take your magazine with you to the range, but you couldn't you know, use a 17-round magazine uh, in self-defense. Um, I don't even think... Even if you had limited the magazine, uh, the number of rounds in that magazine to 10, I think that would still be illegal for you to uh, possess that uh, quote unquote large capacity magazine in public. In addition to the magazine ban, which again creates a new nonviolent possessory offense rather than uh, directing police to focus on violent criminals, Measure 114 would also impose a permit to purchase system that would further burden law enforcement with tens of millions of dollars in unfunded mandates. That, by the way, according to analysis from the Secretary of State's office in Oregon, that uh, this would bring in approximately $20 million in new revenue, quote unquote, taxes and fees paid to exercise a constitutionally protected right. But it would cost law enforcement across the state about $50 million each and every year. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge gap in funding. Uh, And ultimately, this amounts to a defund the police initiative by forcing them to redirect funds away from investigating violent crimes, away from uh, putting officers on the street, and instead forces them to redirect that spending towards administrative efforts that are aimed exclusively at people who want to obey the law, law law-abiding legal gun owners. Uh, It's absolutely absurd. 
Now, what's interesting here is we've only had a couple of polls out in Oregon. Uh, both of them are a couple of weeks old at this point. The Oregonian was first out. They had a poll in late September showing 51% support for Measure 114, 39% opposed, the remainder uh, undecided. So majority support, but narrow majority support, and within the margin of error. A few weeks later, Emerson came out with a poll, and they found opposition to 114 now narrowly leading support. 43% of Oregon respondents said that they were opposed to measure 114, 41% said they were in support, and another 17% undecided. They also can look at the breakdown here. 13% of Democrats in that Emerson poll said that they're voting against measure 114. Another 19% say that they are currently undecided. That That is larger than the share of undecided independents, larger than the share of undecided Republicans. Democrats, two-thirds of them anyway, still say they plan on voting for Measure 114. 54%, excuse me, 34% of uh, independents say the same, and just uh, 13% of Republicans say they plan on voting for Oregon Measure 114. Now, given the leftward tilt of the state, that means this is going to be a very, very close race. Nowhere near the 60, 70, 80, 97% support that gun control activists claim to have from the public when it comes to their supposedly common sense gun safety measures, right? Uh-uh. This one might not even get across the finish line. And if that happens, if Measure 114 goes down to defeat in Oregon, it's going to be because of a, I think, an unlikely uh, coalition of opposition uh, from across the political spectrum. You've got folks on the right and on the left, too, in smaller numbers, but they're still there and they're pretty vocal, uh, who are speaking out against the consequences, both intended and unintended, of Measure 114. Uh, And I will be watching very closely to see not only what the numbers look like in rural Oregon, where I expect we're going to see a pretty strong turnout, uh, in, in, in part because Measure 114 is on the ballot. But I want to see what happens in Multnomah County, where I expect this measure to pass, but can those pro-gun progressives bring the margins down enough in Multnomah and uh, the, the uh, suburban Portland counties uh, to ultimately send Measure 114 to defeat? I think it is a distinct possibility. I mean, look, given... Oregon's politics, you'd have to say that Measure 114 is favored to win, but I would not be surprised at all if, in fact, um, this really draconian gun control uh, initiative goes down to defeat on Election Day. And if it doesn't, well, I think most of the measures are going to go down in court, which, frankly, is another uh, reason to vote against Measure 114. Um but I'm going to be keeping a close eye on that. We probably won't start to see the numbers come in until late Tuesday night, given that this is a West Coast election. The other ballot initiative for uh, gun owners is in Iowa, where uh, there's a amendment to the state constitution that would enshrine the right to keep and bear arms in that document, as well as uh, specify to the courts that strict scrutiny is the proper lens to use when considering the constitutionality of gun control laws. Uh, this, I think, is going to pass handily. 
by the way. I, I don't think there's much of a chance of this going down to defeat. Um, the papers, uh, the state's biggest newspapers have come out in opposition. You've even seen uh, school boards in uh, Lynn County uh, come out and oppose this constitutional amendment. But the uh, scant public polling that we have seen uh, indicates that more than 60% of Iowa voters say they're in favor of this measure. Uh, if you want to look at the Iowa governor's race as a potential proxy, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds seems to be running away with her reelection campaign. So I think it's going to be a good night for uh, Republicans and conservatives in Iowa. Uh, and that means I think it's going to be a good night for gun owners as well. You know, listen, I wish both political parties respected our right to keep and bear arms. And I'm glad to see work on the left uh, in that regard. But uh, our, our progressive gun owning friends have a way to go right now. And, and generally speaking, you know, one party is hostile to our right to keep and bear arms. One party respects it. Uh, and I think uh, voters in Iowa are going to send a clear message in support of their right to keep and bear arms when it comes to enshrining that right in their state constitution on Tuesday. Now, some of the other races that we are keeping an eye on um, are a little, uh, uh, maybe a little bit of a stretch. Uh, New York, for example, where Democrats outnumber Republicans by more than two to one. Uh, unaffiliated voters help Republicans make up the difference, at least theoretically, but uh, Democrats start with a huge numerical advantage in any statewide election. And that would include the uh, governor's race, where the latest Real Clear Politics average has Kathy Hochul up by just about uh, four points over uh, Republican Lee Zelda. Now, keep in mind, four years ago, Andrew Cuomo won re-election by 22 points in New York. So if even if this swing is accurate, and let's say Kathy Hochul wins by four, that's an 18-point swing in favor of the Republicans. And that will translate, I believe, into some pickups, not only in the state legislature in New York, uh, but even in the heavily gerrymandered congressional districts in New York State, where Republicans could pick up one or two seats that they were not expected to win, uh, given the uh, strong turnout in New York. So I think Zeldin has a chance, by the way, to pull this off. Four points again, either right at or within the margin of error. There have been some polls that actually show Lee Zeldin with a narrow lead over Kathy Hochul. Uh, but look for the lack of coattails for Hochul in New York State. And again, that could mean some surprises. I don't think it's going to be enough to take back control of the state assembly in New York. I don't think it's going to be enough to flip a majority of New York's congressional delegations from blue to red. But I do think we are going to see some gains in New York in some uh, unexpected places. And again, the possibility of the upset of the century with Lee Zeldin unseating Kathy Hochul, that remains on the table uh, this election cycle. Texas, man, Greg Abbott's just running away with it. Not even close. A uh, nine-point lead in the Real Clear Politics polling average for uh, Greg Abbott over Robert Francis O'Rourke. And you can see the uh, last couple of polls there have actually shown Abbott uh, gaining more ground uh, on O'Rourke, already again up by nearly double digits in the Real Clear Politics polling average. O'Rourke, of course, has run a campaign all over the place when it comes to gun control. He announced his uh, candidacy for governor by uh, saying, oh, never mind about that uh, coming for your gun stuff. I, I don't mean it. And then we saw the unspeakable tragedy at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, and Robert Francis paid over work, turned on a dime. I said, actually, no, I do want to come after your guns. Well, all, all that stuff I said a couple months ago, yeah, forget that. Now I do want to come for your guns. And then he modified that again to, I'd like to come from your, uh, for your guns, but 
I don't think I'm going to have the votes to do it. So if you elect me, I won't come for your guns, even though I want to. Uh, instead, I'll, I'll, I'll try to raise the age to purchase a semi-automatic uh, firearm from uh, 18 to 21 and a couple of other, again, reasonable gun safety measures. None of those campaign arguments have worked for Robert Francis O'Rourke, uh, who has trailed Abbott in every single poll in the Texas governor's race that's been conducted over the course of this campaign. So I expect that uh, Abbott is going to win this one, uh, run away with it, quite frankly. And uh, gun control advocates, you know, look, they, they will they will have their excuses. But the bottom line is a governor who signed constitutional carry into law is likely to actually win in Texas by a larger margin than he did four years ago despite the Democrat trying to uh, make one of the basis of his campaigns the need for more gun control laws. And Texas is not the only state where that dynamic is in play. We're watching the same thing play out in Georgia as well. Governor Brian Kemp doesn't have quite the lead that Greg Abbott does in Texas in the Real Clear Politics average. He's up by about seven, uh, almost eight points over Stacey Abrams. But again, you can see the uh, trends there in the last few days show uh, as there are fewer undecideds, Abrams has seen a, a slight tick up in her polling, uh, but nowhere near what it was even a month ago. Uh, people seem to be uh, coming home to Brian Kemp in Georgia. And again, Stacey Abrams has tried to make gun control one of the centerpieces of her campaign. She has excoriated Kemp for signing constitutional carry into law. She uh, bemoaned the fact that uh, Kemp has the support of the vast majority of the state sheriffs, uh, charging again basically every sheriff's office in Georgia with being a, a racist law enforcement entity. And even though she says she's concerned about the uh, racist impact of law enforcement, what does Stacey Abrams want to do? Empower law enforcement to make more arrests, empower prosecutors to uh, charge more uh, people for nonviolent possessory offenses that she would turn from a right into a crime. And again, that doesn't seem to be paying any sort of electoral benefit to her in Georgia whatsoever. Uh, as she has made her uh, attacks on uh, Kim's record on the Second Amendment more pointed, again, she's seen her numbers decline. Um. Uh, so those are a couple of Senate or excuse me, a couple of uh, governor's races to keep an eye on. Uh, obviously, there are some other important ones as well. Ohio, Mike DeWine, same phenomena as we're seeing in Texas and Georgia. Signed constitutional carry. Hasn't hurt him a bit in the polls. Uh, he's likely to uh, beat Nan Whaley by 15 points or more uh, come Tuesday night. And it looks like J.D. Vance is uh, pulling ahead of Tim Ryan in the Ohio Senate race, according to the Real Clear Politics polling average. Uh, he enjoys a lead, uh, a growing lead. Still uh, not not going to be a blowout. And Ryan has also turned to uh, guns in desperation. Although in this case, Tim Ryan's cutting campaign ads showing him shooting. Not well, but shooting. And uh, and then uh, walking him afterwards, not bad for a Democrat. So Ryan's not out there uh, running on the O'Rourke-Abrams-Hokel uh, campaign playbook of uh, let's ban our way to safety. That's not what he's doing. He's actually, I'm one of you. Uh, if you elect me, I, I won't be that uh, 51st vote for gun control. If you elect me, I'll buck Chuck Schumer. I'll buck Nancy Pelosi. I'll buck the Democratic leadership. 
And I don't think many Ohioans are buying it. Now, we will see some ticket splitting. I think that uh, uh, Governor DeWine is going to win with a much wider margin than J.D. Vance is in Ohio. But I think J.D. Vance is going to pull it out, too. And I think ultimately it's not going to be particularly close in the uh, Buckeye State. A couple of other Senate races, however, I think could be nail biters, including in Arizona, where the race between incumbent Mark Kelly, co-founder of the gun control group Giffords, along with his wife, Gabrielle Giffords, and uh, Blake Masters, who talks about building, quote-unquote, ghost guns in his garage, that race is neck and neck. And again, Blake Masters has really been surging in the uh, last week or so of the campaign. You can see throughout most of the uh, fall, Kelly enjoyed a, you know, five, six-point lead in public polling. Uh, But then starting about mid-October or so, uh, that race really started narrowing. And at first, it was declining numbers for Kelly without necessarily a a rise in support for Blake Masters. But over the past couple of weeks, as you can see in the polling, there is an indication that not only is Kelly losing some ground, but Masters has been gaining ground. And right now, the Real Clear Politics average has Kelly up by just a point. There have been some polls that have it tied. There have been some polls that have Mark Kelly up with a small lead. There have been some polls that have Blake Master up with a small lead. This one really is too close to call. But again, if you're Democrats, it shouldn't be. You've got an incumbent. And by the way, if you are a gun control activist like Peter Ambler, who says this is the year that it's safe to talk about gun control if you're a Democrat, candidates across the country are demonstrating this. Why is Mark Kelly not talking about gun control? Because he's not talking about gun control. It's not listed on his campaign website. It's not, uh, it wasn't part of his uh, debate material. Uh, I have yet to see Mark Kelly release any sort of campaign flyer going after Blake Masters for his support for the Second Amendment. Mark Kelly doesn't want to talk about gun control this election, even though the executive director of his gun control group says it's safe for Democrats to do so. Another nail-biter Senate race is shaping up in New Hampshire, where Maggie Hassan Uh, Again, enjoyed a pretty big lead throughout the fall. You can see that uh, back in, you know, August, September, she was looking at like a nine point lead in the real clear politics polling average. And then as voters started to pay attention, that race started narrowing. And over the past couple of weeks, it truly has become neck and neck. Uh, Don Baldick tying Maggie Hassan in some polls, uh, a one or two point lead. In other polls right now, Maggie Hassan with a one-point lead in the Real Clear Politics polling average. This was supposed to be a safe seat for Democrats. In fact, uh, Democrats ended up spending money supporting Don Baldick's primary campaign because they thought that he was going to be a weaker candidate. And here it is, day before elections, and Maggie Hassan is not in the driver's seat right now. Uh, and Don Baldick, very well could uh, pull off this upset. And I think that if that happens, again, is gun control going to be the difference maker? Is that going to be the number one issue for voters in New Hampshire? No, it won't be. But Maggie Hassan's support for gun control, I don't believe is going to help her at all. You look at Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire. He's running for re-election. I didn't even bother pulling the numbers because he is so far ahead. Uh, Sununu, again, author of, uh, well, not author, but he signed constitutional carry into law as governor. Doesn't appear to be hurting him with Grand Estate voters. 
Uh, and Maggie Hassan's support for gun control doesn't seem to be doing her any favors with those same uh, voters in New Hampshire. Don Baldick supporting the Second Amendment. I think it's an easier fit for a, a lot of New Hampshire voters to say, all right, we're going with the guy who at least isn't going to try to take my uh, my Second Amendment rights away. Now, again, each and every race that we've talked, well, <laughs> I won't say each and every race that we've talked about uh, is close enough that it could go one way or the other. I, I, I would I would eat my hat if Greg Abbott loses tomorrow night. I will eat my hat if Mike DeWine loses tomorrow night. Th- those races, I think, are outside of the margin of error. Uh, Brian Kemp, same thing. I think he's in good shape tomorrow night. But there are so many races across the country that are so close right now. We really can't afford as gun owners to take any of them for granted. So wherever you live, no matter what race is on your ballot, I hope that you get out and vote and, and you vote like your rights depend on it because they do. Gun control uh, groups like every town are spending not only on gubernatorial races, U.S. Senate campaigns, they're going after county sheriffs. They're uh, spending on secretary of state elections, even though that position has nothing to do uh, with gun control. They are flush with cash and they are spending it from coast to coast uh, on candidates that view your right to keep and bear arms as a constitutional wrong that must be corrected. And we do have the opportunity to send a message again from sea to shining sea on election day that our rights will not be taken for granted. They will not be turned into criminal offenses. And we will show up at the ballot box to defend our most fundamental freedoms. So we will be paying uh, more attention to election day uh, on tomorrow's Bearing Arms Cam and Company. And of course, uh, on the website Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, we will uh, get you caught up on all of the races that are so critically important uh, to gun owners. I, I should mention as well, um, state legislative races. Uh, you know, we didn't even talk about this, but uh, I did write about this uh, briefly at Bearing Arms last week. North Carolina, you are a handful of seats away. From a veto-proof majority, even if you've got a Democratic governor, Republicans, I think, are three House seats, two state Senate seats away from a veto-proof majority. So they could repeal things like North Carolina's permit-to-purchase law and not have to worry about Governor Roy Cooper keeping that Jim Crow-era relic on the books. Um, There are a number of other states where the prospect of a veto-proof majority is tantalizingly close. Uh, Pennsylvania is uh, one of them. Uh, And there are, again, some other races out there that uh, we haven't talked about that I I think are still in upset territory. New Mexico's governor's race, uh, Michelle Luan Grisham, uh, by uh, four points in the Real Clear Politics polling average. Mark Ronchetti, a Republican opponent, though, has led in a couple of late polls. Uh, Again, this is, I think we live in roughly a 50-50 country. And I think um, while the lion's share of these races are going to be decided in Republicans' favor. That's not going to be the case for everyone. There will be some anti-gun Democrats who eke out a victory. Um, I just think that it will be a case of eking out a victory in many cases. I don't think you're going to see Kathy Hochul win New York by 22 points like Andrew Cuomo did four years ago. I don't think you're going to see Michelle Lujan Grisham uh, win New Mexico, running away by, uh, you know, I think, it was, I think it was eight points she won by in 2018. 14 points in 2018. Real Clear Politics average has her up now by four. So if these pre-election polls are anywhere close to accurate, 
we're looking at somewhere between, let's say, an 8 to 18 point swing, depending on what state or what race you're looking at, uh, in favor of Republicans. That that puts this in red wave territory. Uh, Unless the pre-election polling is just completely wrong, all of these outfits have got it wrong, and they've all got it wrong in one direction. Uh, I think tomorrow night is going to be a pretty good night for Republicans, but we can make sure that uh, our, our Second Amendment rights are secure, again, by showing up at the ballot box and voting on Election Day, if you haven't already done so. Now, turning our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report, let's start there with a, a story out of Illinois. J.B. Pritzker, likely to win re-election tomorrow, and that is a shame, because the Democratic dominance of uh, Illinois politics has not only led to uh, a deprivation of our right to keep and bear arms. We've got so many lawsuits going on in Illinois right now, it's not even, I mean, it's silly. But you also have this, again, soft on crime attitude. Uh, The Safety Act is getting ready to go into effect in Illinois. Going to end cash bail for a lot of offenses. Um, But even if you get convicted, you you, you gotta... (laughs) You can't be assured you're going to prison. These soft on crime policies in Illinois are already in place, um, as we see in today's recidivist report, where a Lake Villa man has been sentenced to periodic imprisonment after pleading guilty in a case where he robbed a man while armed with a gun uh, in Round Lake and then attacked the victim. 22-year-old Keenan Queen of Lake Villa indicted by a grand jury in April on charges of armed robbers as a Class X felony. Aggravated robbery, which is a class one felony, and then two counts of aggravated battery, which is a class two felony. Grand jury indictment said that Queen robbed a man last August while armed with a firearm, taking a phone, cash, prescription glasses from the 19-year-old man. He also struck the victim in the head with an object, don't know what it is, described, but uh, caused bodily harm to the victim in this case. So Queen ends up pleading guilty last month to one count of robbery. All the other charges are dismissed. Yeah. Not even armed robbery, just robbery. Lake County judge signs off on the plea deal and then sentences Queen to 36 months of probation and 12 months of, quote, periodic imprisonment. Uh, Yeah. Here's the thing. This is not the first run-in with the law for Mr. Queen. A month after Queen allegedly conducted this armed robbery, Queen was charged with drug-induced homicide for allegedly selling pills that were laced with fentanyl to a man who then subsequently overdosed and died. That case was recently closed after Queen also entered into a plea agreement and uh, pleaded guilty to an amended count of unlawful delivery of a controlled substance, which is a Class II felony, uh, in exchange for his drug-induced homicide charge being dismissed. And another judge sentenced Queen last week to 36 months of probation and 100 hours of community service, fined him about $2,800 for selling a fentanyl lace pill that killed a man. Two weeks, two plea deals, two very serious crimes, and two judges letting Keenan Queen off the hook, by the way, Terrible, terrible name. Uh, If I were Mr. Queen, I might be blaming my uh, criminal productivity on the fact that my parents named me Keenan Queen, which sounds a lot like King and Queen, but whatever. No excuse. 
Uh, and no excuse again for the judge's decisions. Taking somebody accused of serious violent crimes and delivering them a slap on the wrist. And again, unfortunately, uh, based on the likely outcome in Illinois, we are uh, probably going to be seeing a lot more of these types of headlines in the state going forward. Um, today's armed citizen story, St. Paul, Minnesota, where police say uh, a man arrested in a shooting will not be facing murder charges uh, because they believe that uh, this was, in actuality, a case of self-defense. Uh, DeAndre Buckner of St. Paul died last Tuesday. Police arrested a, a 22-year-old or a 20-year-old man at the scene. But the Ramsey County Attorney's Office, uh, quote, declined to file charges due to facts uncovered in the police investigation that strongly support a self-defense and defense of others claim by the person who fired the fatal shot. Last Tuesday, just before the uh, shooting took place, somebody called 911. It was just after 10 p.m. and reported that there were people with guns outside of their home. Uh, in a, a statement on uh, Wednesday, the police department said within 30 seconds of the 911 call, the caller stated that shots were fired. Police found Buckner shot in front of the uh, home. Paramedics pronounced him dead at the scene. Police department has not released additional information about these circumstances. Uh, and last Friday, police spokesman said that the case remains under investigation. Uh, but again, prosecutors have decided that they will not be filing charges here. We don't know all of the uh, specifics, but it sounds like people showed up outside of the house armed. Threatened the uh, occupants inside the house, and one of the occupants uh, fired in self-defense and in defense of others. We don't know if he fired the first shot uh, or if uh, he was responding to uh, a gunfire. But we do know, again, according to uh, prosecutors, that they don't think this was anything but a a case of self-defense. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, a uh, police officer. In Kansas City, Missouri, who was uh, able to help an infant who was struggling to breathe, uh, Officer uh, uh, Richard Deshane and his partner Charles Owen got a call about a, a one-month-old girl who wasn't breathing. They got there before EMS did. And so the pair ran inside the home. Father of the baby handed the uh, child to Deshane, who started performing infant chest compressions on the girl. And she quickly began breathing again. He then turned the girl on her side. Owen attempted to locate obstructions. Um, Body cam uh, of this apparently is going to be released today. But uh, the good news is the baby is okay, uh, thanks to the fast response. And again, the uh, quick actions of uh, Officer Deshane and uh, Charles Owens there in Kansas City, Missouri. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program and, again, remind you, encourage you, extort you, not extort, but to exhort you, that's the word I was looking for, to go and vote if you haven't done so already. Again, we'll have more on the midterms coming up on Tuesday's Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But in the meantime, be sure to check out BearingArms.com. We're updating the website throughout the day with all of the information you need to know by your right to keep and bear arms. And if you like what you see, I'd always encourage you to become a VIP member as well. Just go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. Not only will you be supporting the independent pro Second Amendment journalism we do at Bearing Arms, but as our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. News stories and analysis that matter because your support does matter as well. We really do appreciate it. Have a great rest of your Monday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe and be free.